Tuesday, January 16th, and this is Season 7, Episode 19 of the 4th Third First Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is Lucas. Hello. And John. Nice to be with you, as always. And Michael. Hey there, everybody. Well, I think we may have uh, lost Lucas there for a second, but I think he's back, so uh, we're going to power on with the podcast. So, um... I hate to just roll into this conversation because this is, I think, going to be a a very painful one. But um, so we had our North London Derby yesterday. Um, I know many of us were at the pub right and early uh, as doors opened. I in Chicago, our the bar was uh, packed to the gills, <laughs> uh, no room to move at all, uh, front and back room. Um, we got quite a showing. I will say that it was a very good atmosphere, uh, despite uh, the the match that we watched, uh, um, and did end up being a good day out, but but also a very uh, frustrating day out. Uh, so let's let's talk about this match. I think we were we were feeling positive coming into uh, the North London Derby, at least that we were going to step up to this game, maybe not win it, but I think. Uh, that this would be a, a good match and we could uh, feel well about uh, how our players played. Um, but it really didn't work out that way, did it? Uh, so who, who wants to start? Um, John, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm happy to start here um, because I've got a riddle. And that is, if a team has first-class players and plays very well, the manager gets a lot of credit. If a team has first-class players and plays like crap, then it's the manager's fault and he gets fired. So what is the solution when you have a team that plays well half the time and like crap the other half of the time? Is it the players or is it the manager or is it 50-50? Because this continued frustration for me is that in the second half we had a great game of football we played well we didn't score but nonetheless we up you know we uh, held our own we showed passion we had lots of chances and we looked like a great team in the first half we looked like we just got back from the pub at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and had gone straight out um, and, and played football it the, the two differences is so startling and so we go back to my riddle. Whose fault is that? Yeah. Uh, any anybody want to answer that first, or I can certainly tackle that one. Go ahead, Michael. Well, John, I don't I don't like being asked riddles that that are unanswerable. Maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's so much to talk about with it. But I have to say, Conte made changes, but they were far too late. I think they were the right changes, but far too late to make the difference. Um, and I have questions. Uh, I, I'm pro Conte, but I think you're asking the right, the riddle's correct. I mean, the question is, whose fault is it? In fact, the, the consistency that this team has in playing so badly in the first half and so well in the second, it's as if it was intentional. It's as if there was an instruction given to say, uh, you know, let's just forget about the first half and we'll play real hard in the second half. It's as if they've been told to play that way because of how consistently it happens. And I don't know at this point 
I've never seen anything like it. I don't know if any of you guys have of a team so consistently off and on. It's not it's not in or out. There's no um, it's it's so predictable. I could write it down. I, I mean, many of us did predict it. So uh, I don't know. It's as if Conte asked them to play that way. Well, yeah, and I, I agree with you that it seems like it's he's asked to do this. But, but my whole thing with this squad is, the, uh, and Conte, is it, it feels like the, the skill has been coached right out of them. And I hate to say that, like, and I don't hate to put this all on Conte. Because um, I think Conte is a terrific coach when given the, the tools that he absolutely wants. When he, when he has the, the exact players that are able to play in the, the really rigid structure of his system, then he is extremely successful. But, um, and I don't think he's been given the exact pieces that he needs with our, with our squad. But, um, but the fact that he's still trying to get that out of the, the group of players that we have, and we start to see people that are real talents that we've seen play really good football looking terrible. I mean, uh, I think of Basuma. I know he didn't, didn't really feature in this one as much, but, um, a player like him, like uh, was fantastic last year when he was allowed to, to, to play his own game. But, um, I think at a certain point we have to ask the question, can, if we're going to play this rigid system that, uh, needs very specific players when we don't have those players is, is that, is it Conti's fault? So maybe I would put the John's riddle on uh, on Conti, um, Lucas. I think we haven't given you a chance to step in yet. Uh, you're on mute. Yeah. Hey. So th- I think for me to answer the riddle, I I think you touched on a really good thing there when you talked about the tools that you need to play in Conti's system, and that's where y- you can't really expect. Because of the way Conte has such a rigid style and a rigid way of playing, you know it's successful when he has the right tools. But when you don't, and you don't have, like, for example, I think the biggest one for us is the wingbacks. When you don't have wingbacks that can bomb forward and get balls in from the outsides in Conte's system, it it seems to have everything jammed up in the middle. And then you have somebody like Basuma that you mentioned come in and you know he's what he's capable of doing, we've seen in the Premier League countless times, like how he can boss a game from the middle. Well, he's now being asked to do something completely different because of the system that he's in. And it it just, there's nothing about it that looks fluid. So I think it's a little bit of both to answer the riddle that we don't have the players we need for Conti's system. And until we do, I don't think we can really expect there to be, like something has to change. Either we get all the players in that Conti wants or Conti will have to adjust and say, we'll have to come up with a different way of playing because you can't have the rigid way of playing without the pieces in play. You just get a mess every time. John? Yeah, I'd like to go back to what Michael was saying when he said, you know, are they instructed to play this way? Um, I'm going to take a little bit of exception with that. What do you mean, instructed to lose the ball in the midfield? Instructed not to go after um, the loose balls that are in the midfield? playing the ball negatively all the time i no i i if that's his instructions then we've got a serious problem um so i i can't for the life of me believe that 
Conte says to them, look, would you just take it easy in the first half? We'll, we'll get him in the second half. It feels like it, doesn't it? But, but it, it can't possibly be. So you have to wonder what is causing that pattern to be so... I mean, what, what game have we played this season where it hasn't been like that in the first half? Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. And, uh, you know, I didn't have an answer for my riddle, but I thought it might, you know, achieve creation in, in all areas of discussion because I, you said you've never seen anything like it. I have never, ever seen anything like it. Um, well, in, in this particular Arsenal game, I, I really think the being stuck on this formation really was prob- problematic because Arsenal has three very talented midfielders and when we have uh, one relatively inexperienced but uh, player in SAR that has talent, and then Poibier, who's um, a workhorse but uh, but not particularly skilled in, in the midfield, uh, we were just completely outmatched there. And especially in that first half, we just never even had a had a chance. So yeah, I mean the 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 midfielder's not going for the ball as John was saying. I think it just comes down more to that we were were outmatched there, and um, and we probably should have played uh, three guys there if we if we really wanted to be able to compete in this match. Uh, um, Michael, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, uh, and I think the interesting thing about the system uh, in this Arsenal game was that, as Lucas noted with these wingbacks. There were times when they were open, many times actually, where they were open, but we never utilized them even when we stuck to this discipline system. So, I mean, even when uh, we're playing this system that, that relies on these, on these wingers, that sort of vacates the midfield, the least we could say is, well, we hope that our wingers are doing that job. But we're not, I did not see us utilizing those wingers at all during the match, at least not in the first half. And the other thing I wanted to touch on was um, how it felt to watch that game, which was, I, I know many of you are all looking forward to the North London Derby, you know, what a huge game it is. I probably had 10 or 15 people at the bar yesterday. Um, how humiliating was it for me to say, yeah, this is classic, this is typical. I wasn't even able to tell them, uh, you know, you just came for a dud game, you just came for a bad game. No, this is how it is every game. This is so predictable. I can tell you if you come here next week with me, you'll see the same pattern over and over and over again. Uh, when will things change? I'm not sure. When when will uh, Conte make the change to 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 deal with this problem? I don't know. And what is he not telling the players to motivate them in the first half? I mean, one would ask him to say, okay, guys, this time I want you to play really hard the first half. That would be an instruction you would hear, wouldn't it? Lucas? Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point, too, because for me, you you shouldn't need a manager. Like, that to me is for the players, because you shouldn't need a manager trying to motivate you to make you go out and work your ass off at home in the North London Derby. You shouldn't need a kick up the ass verbally from your manager. If you can't get up and get ready for this game when we've played like shit for the last couple games and we got Arsenal coming into our home and you, you're going to need, like, Conti to tell you that this is a big game that you should be up for. Like, this is on the players at some point where every week, week in and week out, we're coming out with this 
just dead looking first half for a game that like of this magnitude, they should know what this game means and they should be up for it. And they shouldn't need a manager telling them to get up for it. John? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, the other thing is let's look back just a few months to the end of last season. We need, we had a good run in. We beat the arsenal four nil and we got champions league. Uh, qualification because of it, because quite honestly, Arsenal were in a better position to get the Champions League spot than we were. So we've gone from 4-0 to 0-2 in six months with the same manager. Now, can you say Arsenal has improved by six goals on us? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that any team can, can... Improved by six goals over a over another team in six in six well, months. And and John, I saw the. I I, I want to say it was like seven or nine years. It's been since they've done the double on us, and that's kind of really really depressing to to have happen at at, at our home field. Yeah, um, I mean it's it, the the statistics over the last seven or eight years have been that we have not lost against Arsenal at home, including White Hart Lane, Wembley, and the new Tottenham Stadium. So the vibe was with us. I and then we come out and play like a bunch of wankers, and I it totally, totally mystifies me. And it almost felt a little more bitter because uh, yes, we against Crystal Palace. We did do the same thing we always do, nothing in the first half. But still, we ended up with a 4-0 win. And yes, uh, that 3-0 win last year against Arsenal, I believe it was 3-0. And uh, so I almost went into this more optimistic. Uh, I, I, but I, I predicted my guess was 2-1 two, two, and Arsenal winning uh, because I thought that we were going to have this first half problem. But you guys are all right. Of all the games... Think, think back, and we'll talk about this later with Man City. Think back to both Man City games where we immediately scored in the first half within, a, a, you know, what, 10, 20 minutes last season. Now what are we going to look forward to? This Arsenal game was emblematic of the season. The stream cutting off uh, for most people if you're watched in the U.S., um, the, the way we played, it's emblematic of the whole season. The players are there. And has Arsenal really uh, changed their, their whole – um, system that much since last year? No, John, you're right. Have they really added that many more players? No, they haven't added more players, really. They've added a few here and there, but it's the same players that we played that we faced last year. If anything, hypothetically, our team this year has is better technically than last year. Um, so the it's a mind game, not a not a not a game of statistics for us, which is almost more frustrating. Wouldn't it be convenient to just say we know the answer and it's just to put this person here and add this person there? But it's not. It's something in their heads. It's something intangible, which makes it harder to pinpoint and more frustrating to watch. Yeah, if we played the same way we played in the first half for the entire game, manager's got to go. If we play the same way we play in the second half for the entire game, manager's going to stay. We've got a genius. And that's the... That's it, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, and and I'm glad that you brought up man, if that was the situation, managers got to go because this is actually out there now a lot. There's a lot of people popping up uh, last night and this morning who, in the Spurs world, that are saying Conte out now. Um, now I 
that seems a bit ex- extreme to me. But also, I'm I'm kind of at this point like we can't get him to commit to us, commit to our project, um, and it doesn't seem like our ownership is willing to commit the project to him. Um, so what are we doing wasting this window on him? We're going to bring in players that aren't quite good enough for what he needs in his system to be successful and, and, and just carry us through another three months of this until the season ends. And then, and then he may or may not stay, or is it, is it time to, to cut losses and say like, you know what, like he's a great coach, but, but we just can't make it work with, uh, with who we are as a club, who, who our identity is. Um, so we need to find somebody who fits that identity. And I know the name that's out there now with a lot of people is bring Pochettino back. You know, we know that he can achieve above his level or above the level of the players that he has uh, with Spurs and he'll work within the, the um, within the player structure that we have um, to a certain extent. But um but I know that that's a kind of a red herring as well. So uh, where are you guys at? Anybody here Conti out at this point? Um, uh, Lucas, you can go first. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, um, I'm Conti out, but not because I want that. I'm Conti out because I don't see what the point is, like, kind of like what you said. So right now for me, he might as well get out if we're not going to give him the pieces that he needs then what's the point? Like, he's not going to be able to succeed and achieve what he wants to achieve with us if we don't give him the pieces that he needs to to get that going. So, like, I, I'm I'm not Conti out because I think he's a bad manager. I'm not Conti out because I think he's not the guy for the job. I think he's the best manager that we've ever had. I'm like, this guy's this guy's a proven winner, and it, it's, it's, a, it's such a waste to have to even, like, be talking about this. But... Yeah, I'm, I guess I am Conti out just because I don't see us ponying up the, the money to go out and spend like the big teams do and bring in the players that he needs. So if that's not going to happen, then what are we wasting our time for? I, To me, a good manager is one that has some flexibility. Has some flexibility knowing the players that he has. Has some flexibility if his system is not working they need to adjust it. And the one thing I will say about Conti is he appears to have absolutely no flexibility. This is the way we're going to play, and we're playing badly because I don't have the players to play that way. Um, I, I fortunately, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't agree with that. Um, we've got world-class players, and I think that let loose and, and give it a bit of uh, an idea to play the way that maybe they're more used to playing or whatever, we'd have a world beater. But it does seem to me that he is so inflexible that it's causing us a problem. And when infle- when inflexibility becomes that uh, strong, then we've got a problem. And for that reason, yeah, let's get, some, get somebody in who has some flexibility. I mean, the one thing about Pochettino is that he did, he did have flexibility. Then, you know, the- he would change formation. He would change uh, who he was playing. Sometimes he didn't give some of the young players a chance either, um, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. But he did uh, 
uh, have some flexibility with formation and and try to create a structure that would work that would uh, get his best players in there and at most successful. Um, uh, Michael, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, I, I guess I, I agree, John. I think the, the, the mark of a manager that can get more out of a team than the sum of its parts is a manager who can adapt to the team because you have to use the players you have. That's the... The entire point of a manager, and for a lot of us, I think, is to make uh, a team better than, than the sum of its parts. Uh, to do so requires the uh, understanding of, of, of who you have and how to get the best out of them, given those limitations. And Conte, um, you're right. He, 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 he's strict to the point of maybe training some of the, uh, the brilliant set of our players, of uh, being too rigid at the same time, here's my one reservation about Conte out. This uh, this roller coaster of managers is at the end of the day is terrible for any club to have this level of of cyclical hiring firing. It's not positive for the club. Uh, time and, and we know managers need time. In general, uh, in my view, patience has to be part of it for any manager. And we saw what Conte was able to do at the end of last season. He got so much out of these players. So we know we can do better than this. With We've seen Conte do better with these players than he has now. Um, we know that managers need time. Um, and I already hear Pete, you know, everyone saying, well, he's had time. And you're right. Especially he had this full week going up to this game. He had the whole World Cup with a lot of our players. So I have that reservation of, do we really want to go back into the mix? Do we really want to go back into the manager hunt? and go through all of that all over again for how many times in a row um, with, you know, mid-season. But, um, but you're right. And I think uh, we should keep Conte for the season. But I think at the end of the season, we need to, to look elsewhere. And I think Pochettino would be a very good choice. Uh, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, and, and I just want to, like, again, I'm not, I'm not Conte out. I really wish we would. I'm not Conti out because I uh, anything of on Conti's end. I'm Conti out just because I I don't see the us spending for him. But so I just want to make sure it's not because I I completely agree that patience is key. Like I've used this example before. There's guys that like Sir Alex Ferguson was about to get sacked and hadn't won anything in his first couple of years at United, and then they turned it around. But it took him a couple of years. Like. Klopp for Liverpool didn't win anything for the first three years, and it took a while to get that process going. It's it's not just you come in and wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you're a world beater. Like, you need time for a manager to implement his system, especially with younger players. And I think it is dangerous when you, when you start cycling in managers in and out, especially with young players, because when you're a young player and you're trying to develop – to be playing with three different managers under three different seasons is not going to help or be conducive to your process to grow and actually become a better young player. So it, it's, it is kind of, it is really, we're in a really bad spot right now because I think the point you made as well, Anthony, that yeah, Conti needs specific players. So if we're not going to commit to him and he's not going to commit to us, then bringing players in right now, it, it's like Royale, like Royale was brought in to be a fullback under Nuno. Well, then Nuno got sacked, and now he's sitting there with completely out of position and doesn't really have a role. So if if we bring in guys that are specific to Conti, 
in his process and the way he plays, and then we sack him, then now we got guys in that might not have a role. So it's a waste of time and money. So we're in a really tricky spot here, and it would be really helpful if we just had some kind of some kind of communication between the club and Conti or some kind of understanding as to what the commitment level is on each end. Have the club come out and say to Conti, hey, this is what this is what you got. We're not willing to spend. Make your decision. Have Conti come out and say, hey, I'm part of this process. I want this, this, and this. Like, it would just, we're kind of left in the dark because we just don't know what the, the commitment level is on each side. Go, go ahead and respond to that, Michael. And then I want to talk a little bit more about the actual game it's, match itself here. Yeah, yeah. I, I Well, I was going to say, I'm looking forward to uh, our halftime uh, transfers uh, conversation because this, the, I actually have to say, the club has been willing to pay more in recent, this in this past season and summer than it has in the past uh, in terms of buying players. But we haven't bought players that alleviate the needs that we have. I mean, um, and I'm I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about that later. Uh, because, for example, Richarlson, great player, give him a lot of credit. But is that really what we needed at, for for the amount we paid for him when when we have some more urgent needs? I would say in other places. So many questions about that. And I so I'm I'm keen to hear what you guys have to say about that later when you guys go over uh, transfers and whatnot because. I I see the club opening the wallet a little bit more, actually, than it has in recent years. I just haven't seen – and we have had some success with it, Kulisevsky, Ventiker, et cetera. But a lot of places where we have weaknesses, I'm not seeing the money going there. I'm seeing it go to other places. So I'm putting a pin in that. I want to hear more about it from you guys later. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, – I'll, I'll hand it back to you, Anthony. Okay, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of this match. Uh, because, okay, um, we, both of these goals that Arsenal scored and beat us on were probably avoidable, or at least we could have done more to prevent them. Um, and, and focusing in on that first goal. So, yeah, Sessegnon was a bit beat, by, a beat on the wing, uh, but he did do the right thing to recover. And and he was able to corner, I believe it was Saka, right, um, on the um, onto the um, line. Uh, so if he was going to take a shot, it was going to go right at Hugo Lloris. So he did handle that position himself well after he was beat. Um, so yes, Sessegnon made <laughs> was outperformed, um, but he did recover. And it was Hugo who just made this erroneous uh, mistake that any keeper should be able to stop that ball coming directly at them when when they have the post right there to to protect the, them, where the ball's either going to go out of bounds or go right into their arms. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have an own goal on your keeper, it's there's there's really not a lot you can say that. In terms of Sessegnon not doing the right thing or Sessegnon getting beat, if you're an, if you're a keeper and you're getting an own goal to your name, that's that's the end of the story right there. And I think what's what's more frustrating is that this isn't something that we've seen out of nowhere. This isn't just Hugo out of nowhere having a bad day or an off day. This is a trend that we've seen all season with him. That sure he has a couple of great saves in a game, but that's your job. Your job isn't to like 
cost us points. And this, I think over this season, I know we haven't played well as a team, but your job is to keep us in it until we can actually do our jobs and actually get the ball moving forward. And unfortunately, it's taken us a whole half most of the season to wake up. But this is the 100th time we've seen Hugo cost us a goal that puts us all of a sudden we're now behind the eight ball and we have we have a one goal. This is the this is the team that's the top of the league. You can't just be giving them a free goal 15 minutes in. It's just it's a trend that we've seen out of Hugo this year where it's game after game. He's having howlers like Newcastle at home. It's just it's it's so frustrating to watch. And even even the second goal was because of his poor distribution, which is something that we've seen all season. So it's just, yeah, you're, you're in a real troubled spot if your goalkeeper is continuously costing you points. Well, and I'm going to let Michael respond because uh, he had his hand up first. But uh, are you like, do we need to replace Hugo, Hugo this window, do you think? Or is, or is this just an anomaly? Go ahead, Michael. That's a good question, uh, but, and I'll get th- I'll get to that. I have to say, so for our Chicago Spurs rec team, I'm our keeper. Uh, have I I had an own goal like that once, uh, once in in the last two seasons, um, and that's acceptable, probably expected for a rec goalkeeper uh, with a little bit less experience than Hugo Lloris, but. For um for Hugo to do it, it hurts a lot more than even for me to do it on my own team, uh and uh and and uh Sess did the best he could. I agree. I mean, we put him there because he he had done a, a decent job of suppressing Saka, I believe, in the past. So I see why we had Sess in in the spot. He made a mistake. He tried to make up for it, and um it was painful to watch. And I think Hugo, especially because if you watched him the World Cup. He actually had a, quite a decent World Cup, in my view. Um, but to see the constant distribution errors and, and his retirement last week from international, um, to answer your question, I think we we do need to be looking at, at a top goalkeeper. And to to go back to what you said earlier, Lucas, when we're talking about money and players and transfers, a significant chunk of change is going to have to be saved for a good top keeper and we're going to want a top keeper and we're going to need a top keeper ideally one who will stay for a while that's going to cost a lot of money so if we're paying for a new keeper where's the where's the money going to come from for all these players that uh, Conte needs to fit this system that he wants and that is a just another you know question on top of all the other questions and unanswerable riddles and I'm looking forward to see how uh, our staff and ownership answers it. I, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to answer all those questions. John, uh, you, you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, I I think I think I mentioned this the last time I was on the podcast. I think we've got Hugo until the end of the season, quite honestly. Um, like it or not, um, he did make some really good saves. He is a top-rated goalkeeper, but when a goalkeeper starts to make one mistake a game that costs us one goal a game, which certainly happened um i was on hugo a bit more on hugo's side with the last own goal because i didn't think the defenders came back um as swiftly as they could have done to help him but in this situation um it's hard to justify the the mistake that he made um and it cost us a goal 
And just like, you know, I go back to Gomez uh, a few years ago. He was a wonderful, charismatic, good goalkeeper, but he did cost us a goal a game. And, you know, in the Premier League, you cannot afford to have a goalkeeper that costs you a, uh, a goal a game. So, um, but having said that, I don't see anything happening in January. And uh, maybe he needs a rest, bring Foster in for a couple of games. I, I don't know. But that's, to me, that's about the only option. Uh, Lucas? Yeah, and, and I think that uh, something that is even more troubling is that when when Hugo or it's it's how different we play as a team when we're up a goal versus down a goal. We've had we've seen how effective and how great we are as a team when we get that first goal lead, and that's one of the things that really really hurts us is that it's not like Hugo's making these dumb mistakes when we're up three nil or we're down three nil. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's always these, it, it seems to just be when it's a nil nil game and we're in desperate need to try and go forward and get that first goal. And all of a sudden we're just getting put into a hole. That's the thing that is really troubling is that it's, it continues to put us down when we're a team that is so successful when we can get that first goal lead. And it takes our, it takes our, it takes away our ability to do that really when, when your goalkeeper is costing you and continuously throwing you under the bus and having you start with a one nil deficit in these games. Yeah. Well, and I will say like, when you look at the, the, the stats, we had 51% of the possession. We had 17 shots to their 14. We had seven shots to their five, but they made theirs count. And most of that was because of individual errors. And we can talk about the, the their second goal too, which was a good shot. But it was also a shot where they were given a lot of uh, uh, yards of space to work in and and get that shot off in the first place. And and we've seen that multiple times this season. From uh, and this is a bit back to this is a big game. Um, this is where you need to step up. You don't you don't have those uh, um, positioning uh, uh, failures like you 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 are on the man because you're. You take this game seriously, so you're you're going after the ball. You're going after the the player you're marking. You're um, like I'd rather have had like us play really hard in this first half and and maybe get like uh, two yellow cards or something like that. I would have been pissed, but um, but at least I could see that the heart was there, especially in the first half. Um, but we we did come back in the second half. Um, but it just wasn't enough, and we couldn't make any of those get the, any of those goals in net, um, despite really having more opportunities than they did. Um, any thoughts on that? Before we kind of go to MVP, LVP. Well, I, I think the statistics are a little bit. Uh, uh, they fool us a little bit because the statistics at halftime were dreadful, but we made up. Uh, we improved our statistics enormously in the second half. So once again, we know they can play. And when they play well, yeah, we help the chances and um, we didn't do anything with them. But nonetheless, yeah, Michael. I was just going to say the same thing. If you look at if you looked at the stats for this game afterwards, I haven't get, I haven't had the stomach to watch the highlights. But if you just look at the stats, you would say, well, that was an even game. That was a close game. Um Obviously, the game, I don't think even the second half, we felt like we were getting closer and closer. I don't know if we ever felt like we were getting back into it. But if you look at the stats, 
it doesn't look so bad, does it? Um, it almost masks the actual performance of the match because the second half really did. You know, Ramsdale made some great saves, and um, if if he hadn't done that, if Hugo hadn't uh, conceded that first goal and it was 1-0, who knows, you know, how we may have recovered. And, and that is to our credit. This team has the resilience. Um, that I think we can all agree on, and that's uh, a worthless silver lining right now, but a silver lining nonetheless. Lucas, go ahead and respond to that, and then uh, give me your MVP afterwards. Yeah, I'm just, <clears throat> I know I agree that the stats can, the stats can be very deceiving, and it's, I think a lot of that second half they just wanted us to have the ball and weren't too worried about us actually creating much that was going to tilt the game back into our favor. And I don't think we saw it. We had a couple of moments where, yeah, Ramsdale made a good save here and there, but um, we just, we never really looked as if that's even in that second half, they kind of just let us have the ball. And it wasn't as if we were knocking on the door for 45 minutes, trying to get that goal. in. so I, I think that's one of the reasons that the stats look as friendly as they do after the game. But yeah, my MV, my MVP probably, I don't have a lot to, I mean, in a game like that, there's not a lot of guys I want to give it to, but um, I'll give a nod to Saar. I think Saar, like for a for a young kid coming into his first big game like that, um, I think that was a really big game or a big moment for him that he stepped up in, and I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, I think that's a good shout, and I'll, I'll just jump in there that I agree with you. I, I would pick Saar because I just can't pick anybody else, and we'll get into LVP in a minute. Uh, Michael, who do you have? Well, I mean, I actually, I want to say Kane, but he didn't have enough touches on the ball. I, I think Kane, when he had it, actually played pretty well as as usual, I would say. Um, and if not Kane, because he really didn't make as much of an impact as we would like, I, I would say Sar as well. Uh, John? Well, uh, I had made this decision before the podcast, and I had come to the conclusion that I thought it would be Sar. So I've not been influenced by you. Um, I thought he showed um, experience way above his age. Um, he was a bright spark. He distributed the ball very well. Um, and all in all, I think he deserves the man of the match, quite frankly. Definitely. A good shout there. Uh, so let's swing back around to Lucas and, and do LVP. I don't see how you can give it to anyone other than Hugo, to be honest. Like, yeah, he had a, and I know it's just a couple of mistakes and goalkeepers are always the ones that their errors are much more, I think, magnified in the sense that they're all on their own back there. But um, yeah, it, it has to be Hugo, in my opinion. He threw us under the bus in a really big spot on a really routine ball that I, I think any goalkeeper worth their salt should be saving. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael? Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it's just, a, it's such a grievous mistake. Otherwise, and, and I don't really have any more to add than what you just said. Uh, I do think the keeper does end up, their mistakes are more resident, but they know that. That's what they signed up for. I can tell you myself. Uh, if I had to choose anyone else, though, it might be some. He might as well not have been on the pitch, I don't think. Uh, I would love to know how many touches he got in the ball, but I think San really, where was he? If anyone finds him, let me know. Yeah, no, Son is a good show. Uh, John? I have a problem giving it to Hugo because 
you give it you give the guy the least valuable player because he made one mistake if we would apply that rule to everybody on the pitch then um they'd all be uh, lvps i think i'm going to go to the guy that i was most disappointed with and that was sessignon he was given a big chance and he was okay but i really hoped that he would step up and show us what he's worth uh, he's not been on the picture uh, a great deal lately so i was uh, the one i was most disappointed in was uh, was Sessignon. yeah i i think you all have good cases um i mean hugo i think really did cost us this game because if they don't get that first goal i don't think this match ends the same way maybe we get into half zero zero and then when we start playing better it becomes a little bit more of a um um a competition i guess um but sun was just terrible and we've really got to solve that problem and i, and I think it has to come down to to benching sun uh once richard richardson's back and fully fit uh let me hold that because that's his best position um either that or or essentially backup striker um I think we need to sit, sit him, and, and last time it worked. Like Sun came back and had a had a hat trick when he came off the bench. Um, having him run at tired legs, I think like he is over thirty. We have to. He is a guy that's uh, a lot of his skill set is built on speed. I think we got to start benching him because he has been just playing terrible, and it's beyond just like a cold spell that he typically goes through at this point. Um, uh, I think that's the solution once with Charleston's fit. Just be, uh, bench him for half of the games, and then maybe he'll pick it up again uh, eventually. Um, I also wanted to, to give a negative uh, shout for LVP to Hoybier. I think he was terrible this match, and some of that was because uh, he was set up in a formation that had him uh, um, outmatched by three midfielders to two with a less experienced one who really stepped up. But, but I, I just don't think he was very good this game. He was very frustrating to watch. Um, any other final thoughts on the game before we uh, go to half? Okay, well, this is a good place to go to half. Um, the second half, we are going to talk a little bit about transfers. Uh, and we have to, two matches to preview, Manchester City away this Thursday, and then the following Monday, Fulham away. Uh, but first, we have two halftime segments, and we are going, going to go to Luke's Locks and then John's Lone Player Update. Luke's Locks! All right, here we go. I got a three-pack for you this week. First one up, unfortunately... It's a Thursday game, so get it in early. And it is unfortunately going to be Man City minus a one and a half goals at home versus our beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, both teams are coming off devastating losses in their derbies, respectively, this weekend and will be desperate to get a result. Unfortunately, I would take a desperate Man City over a desperate Tottenham right now. So I can't see us turning up for this one, and I think we'll probably get turned over. So take City minus one and a half at home. Next up, it's going to be Liverpool minus uh, half a goal at home versus Chelsea. Liverpool also coming off a big 
uh, disappointing loss for them. They got smacked 3-0 away at Brighton and will be looking to right the ship. Chelsea's had trouble scoring goals as of late, and I think Anfield will be a tough place to do anything about that and make a change. So look for Liverpool to turn things around at home and cover the half goal against Chelsea. Third and finally is going to be a bit of a wild card here, and I'm going to take the over on two struggling teams. Uh, it's going to be over two and a half goals in the West Ham game at home to Everton. Uh, the two teams are 18th and 19th in the table, respectively, and will be very desperate to try and <clears throat> excuse me, climb out of the relegation zone. I think this will lead to an open game, and we could see quite a few goals here. So take over two and a half in West Ham at home against Everton. There you have it. There's your free locks of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. John's well, hello, everybody, and welcome to my loan update. It's been the first for a while because of the World Cup. And uh, and so I think we've got some very interesting news, a lot of it good um, on our loan front. Uh, some of you may remember that Winks, who went to Sampdoria, was injured almost immediately. Um, he has now recovered and has made, uh, I believe, two substitute appearances for Sampdoria. So he's back on uh, he's back on track. And the same thing can be said about Regulon, who also got injured almost immediately on his uh, loan to Atletico Madrid. He has now been on the bench uh, twice and has come on for Atletico Madrid. So it, really good news that those two are back and not injured anymore so that they can show what uh, what they can do. Um, the other injury that we had was Parrott, who was at Preston North End. Um, he had he got a serious injury after scoring his first goal for Preston um, back in the early November. Well, he made a return as a substitute on Saturday. So he's back in uh, he's back on track again. So that's great news for him as well. Um, we also uh, have uh, Dane Scarlett at Portsmouth. Um, he appears to have gone off the boil a little bit, but I have to say, so of Portsmouth. They've gone through a very uh, traumatic period. They've lost their manager. They've gone from a position of being um, in the in the playoff hunt for promotion to just playing like the worst team in the league. Um, hopefully, the club can get back on track, in which case it'll give... Scarlett, um, a bit more opportunity. But at the moment, he's kind of caught in this team that is uh, has got some horrendous problems. And uh, I don't know, but possibly I could think that uh, if this continues at Portsmouth, we could take Scarlett back and give him to another team um, that's maybe a bit more organised. <laughs> um, we've got uh, also... Uh, Lo Celso, he's at Villarreal. Uh, got to believe he's going to stay there. Um, I mean, he's getting good time. Um, he got hurt for a little bit, came back. But um, I think we've learned that we can live without him and Villarreal like him. So I can't see what's going to change there. Um, Udogi at Udinese is having a fantastic season. A um, lot of people looking forward to him coming back to us after his loan uh, season ends, which is the end of uh, the end of the season. 
so I think he's really one to watch, but he's having a he's having a really great season at uh, Udinese. Um, I've also got Saar on this list, which is interesting because uh, he was on loan, um, but he's now been brought into the team, and as we all saw on um, on Sunday, doing a heck of a job. I think he's. Uh, He's definitely one for the future, so we have to cross him off our uh, our loan list now because he's now a uh, a permanent player. And the same thing can be said for Whiteman, the goalkeeper. He was at Degafor in Sweden. He's come back. Um, Spurs have to do something about their goalkeepers in general, um, starting with Hugo, um, and that some of the backups there aren't going to stay. They've let one go who was on loan at uh, Potter's Bar last year. Um, so we've got a few kind of adequate backups, but they're going to have to go with one of them, I think. And Whiteman might uh, might be let go would be my prediction, um, unless he makes it as the number three keeper. So there we have it. Um, that covers all of the uh, all of the nine players that Spurs have out on loan. And um, yeah, I hope like you, uh, you follow their. Uh, you follow that what they're doing. I like to watch the uh, the games, the highlights, if I can. If some of our um, some of our guys are on loan, and uh, I enjoy that very much. Um, I mean, the only thing I will say, as some people might not be aware, uh, the fourth round of the FA Cup, uh, we will be playing Preston North End, and because of the terms of his loan, Parrot will not be eligible to play in that game. But uh, we hope, wish him well now he's, uh, now he's recovered and hopefully he can start banging them in for Preston, um, who desperately need it at this point. So that's me, that's John, that's my loan uh, update for February, or January even, 2023. Thank you. Well, well thanks as always, Lucas and John. I did want to ask real fast, John, um, did, did you mention Ndombele in there? Um. No, I didn't. <laughs> he was on my list here, but you're right. And Dombele at Lyon, um, he's gone for a million euros for the loan. He's uh, got a permanent contract for 30 million at the end of it. Um, he's he's not really knocking them dead in uh, in Lyon, but the team is doing very well, Lyon. And uh, I did read, and I have not had this, been able to confirm this, that if Lyon make the Champions League, then the trade with uh, Ndombele will go through automatically. Um, and it looks very much like they are going to do that now, even if it's not with a great deal of Ndombele's help. So, you know, I wish the lad well. I don't think he's got a future at Tottenham, but if he can do well in Lyon, then um, then off we go. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that, Anthony. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I was just curious because I, I had heard that he was doing better earlier this season, but I didn't know if it was... Uh... If he was still kind of uh, like on a typical Ndombele downslide or anything, but let's let's hope that they make the Champions League. And uh, you're right that they that becomes permanent a permanent deal because uh, we need to move him on for sure. Um, well, uh, let's uh, before we go into the second half, we uh, Michael, you have an announcement to make, so go ahead and make that announcement. Yeah, uh, as usual, I wanted to talk about our Chicago Spurs rec team. Uh, John earlier described Tottenham's performance yesterday as uh, as if they had just walked out of the pub drunk at 10 a.m. Uh, I did something similar to that yesterday, 
uh, with our team. Uh, and we did lose, unfortunately, despite my best efforts, and I actually did make a few good saves. Um, but I just want to use this as an opportunity to advertise, as always, for the fact that we have a rec team. We're playing regularly every week. Right now we're playing in Sunday afternoons, but this is the important opportunity I wanted to share. If you want to sign a free transfer to, uh, to our team, you can do that. Starting in February, we'll be playing 5v5 indoor on Thursday night. Um, the cost is going to be around $115 per person. Uh, we wear our own kit, sponsored by The Atlantic, of course, and shout out and thank you to them, uh, as always. And we're always looking for more players, either as subs, as regular starters. Our team is getting better and better every, every uh, season, every game. And I can say, unironically, that we looked a better side yesterday than the actual Premier League team Tottenham Hotspur did uh, in an entire game. Uh, not the brag I wanted to make, but the brag I'm making anyway. So, as always, contact any of us at the board. Tweet at us, Instagram. Find me at the bar in my usual seat. Anywhere you can reach out to Chicago Spurs, and uh, we can get you connected to our team. Thanks, as always, Michael. And it does sound like a lot of fun. I've got to go out and uh, watch one of the uh, matches. I'm definitely not going to play because I think I'd hurt myself, but um, but I wouldn't mind uh, the, what, what, cheering you guys on for, uh, for a match. So definitely got to make it out for one. Um, well, before we uh, preview these uh, two upcoming matches, um, I want to have a quick conversation about uh, transfer rumors. Um, now, um, we kind of laid out the situation in the first half that like we have this Conte problem. Like, well, if we're going to back Conte, we got to get the players that he needs. But if we're not going to give the spend the money on the players that he needs, then why are we backing Conte? Uh, another riddle for us, I guess. Um, but. Um, the two players that are being talked about the, the most, at least in this last uh, few days, uh, Pedro Porro, yet again, we've talked about in the last uh, three or four podcasts, uh, but the, um, the Mirror was reporting, so take, take that for what it's worth, um, that, uh, that he had reached personal terms with, with Tottenham. So uh, he is willing to come if that story is to be believed. Um, you... Um, there, it's rumored that Spurs are playing to meet this upcoming week um, with Sporting to try and work out a deal. They clearly want to hold out for the full amount, and I think a lot of that ha it has to do with what's rumored owed to Manchester City uh, uh, for his rights. Um, so I think if they get the full amount, then they get more money for the sell-on um, is, is why that that's the case. But I've also uh, heard a... Uh, um, uh, from from Ali Gold, um, he indicated that this uh, Pedro Porro deal might be a red herring for what Spurs are actually working on. Um, what do you get? Where are you guys at on this? Do you think there's any smoke here, or, or, or just smoke or fire? Not to go back to our, I think our last week's episode or two weeks ago. Go ahead, Lucas. You're not getting any sound, Lucas. Okay, uh, anybody else? Uh, uh, Lucas is going to work out a sound. 
Yeah, I I think that um, red herrings is the right word. This is the time of year for a lot of red herrings. Um, the other player that's being banded about is Trossard from Brighton. Um, evidently, his contract is in a favourable favourable position to be able to get him. Um, but with all of these, I always take it with a grain of salt. The press are trying to sell newspapers or whatever it is they do these days. They come up with every possible um, scenario. Um, I thought it was very interesting the other day. I read that uh, a very big club was interested in signing Kane. Well, I think it would be more interesting if they printed big clubs that were not interested in signing Kane. Because quite honestly, if you got a big club, Kane would be top of your list of who you'd want to sign. So th that's the absurdity of it. Um, I think the situation with Marcus Edwards is kind of intriguing. Um, we have a buyback clause with him and that buyback clause is certainly a big amount less than his value. So what we do with that, I don't know, but that to me looks like a situation that actually makes sense that we investigate because Hey, John, I just want to, I, I think it's more, we have a sell on clause. So if they sell to somebody else, um, there, um, we, we could offer more money than other teams because, um, because we, we can waive our, our sell on rights and like, okay, so if we give you 35 for a 60 million player, that's more than they would get for a 60 million player. I think yeah. that's. I think, I, that's I, think, I, think that's, I think you're right there, but I, I understood that there was a buyback provision, but maybe oh, not. In, in, right. any event, in, in any event, there is uh, financial deals that could make that possible. Um, and I'd be interested to see how that goes. As for the rest of it, I'll believe it when somebody says, yeah, we've got a picture of him in a Spurs shirt actually signing. I mean, I've seen players with pictures of them in a Spurs shirt already, and they haven't signed. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, Lucas, you back on now? Yeah, we uh, still got no sound coming, Lucas. Uh, uh, maybe try and exit the chat and come back in. And while he's doing that, John, for the record, who's not photoshopping themselves into a Spurs uh, uniform? I'm just saying. That's what I yeah. do for fun. No, I, I understand. And I think it's amazing that we found some way to shut Lucas up. That's a, that is really something. It doesn't happen very often, let me tell you. Well, but, uh, you, you did mess it, mention Leandro Troussard. And, and um, I know a lot of Spurs fans think that this isn't a good enough player for what we're looking for. Um, but I think what is interesting about uh, Troussard is that Troussard is um, – uh, kind of a utility player and Conte does seem to like guys that can play fill multiple roles on the team. He has played some right wing back. He, he's mostly a right winger. Um, but I think he's also played more towards the middle of the field. So um, I could see why uh, having a utility guy would be useful, but that seems more like uh, what we did this summer. We filled up the bench with players that, that uh, give us a, a, bench with a little bit more depth than we had in the previous season. And I don't know if that Troussard uh, um, is, is, improves the first team that much. Um, 
But uh, Lucas, uh, are you ready to go? Yeah. Can Can you hear me all right? Is it working? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So, yeah. Sorry, I'm having technical difficulties today. No, I I think that the big thing that frustrates me is the way we do business. I and I get that in January it's never going to be as smooth as it can be in the summer. Where in January you're if you're the one looking to buy, you're going to probably be overpaying. Uh, if you're the seller, you can make out like bandits. But if if you're the guy that's that just doesn't it's not conducive to what i mean we don't spend we don't overpay we nickel and dime everyone so it's like i think that for me the part where i get frustrated is we have to try and find a way to change how we do business because it's we see deals fall through all the time with these guys like john had mentioned i never get excited about a player until i see him holding up a scarf at hotspur way like that's that's the only time I'm like convinced that someone's signing with us. And it's it's frustrating that you see some of like Liverpool and Chelsea have already got their business done. They've already taken care of some big signings right as soon as the window opened. And here we are 16 days in trying to say, well, so and so is worried about getting the full price. And are we going to pe- are we going to meet the whole price? Of course, you need to meet the price. That's how that's how selling works. Like I don't walk to the corner store and they go to buy a I don't go to Domino's to get a pizza and they say it's twelve dollars and I say now give you nine even though the price is twelve dollars no no no, I'll I'll give you eight and a half like you you can't be doing that at this level because the big clubs will come in and pay so we can't be nickel and diming people every single time we're trying to get a transfer over the line because we're just going to continue to see teams say okay screw it like we'll sell it to Liverpool who will pay the price or we'll sell to Chelsea who will pay the price Man City will pay the price so at some point, we got to get some of these deals over the line because, again, we had talked about this a few podcasts ago, and John had mentioned the importance of getting some of these January signings quickly because we have they had the Arsenal game, and now we have City, and then we play City again pretty soon. So we got to get some of these. If we are going to make some signings, we've just wasted some really good opportunities to help us save some points and against really top-level teams that uh, we could probably have used the help. Ahead, yeah, uh, Lucas, I think in many ways you sh- you share the fans share your frustration. Um, I will say that I think fiscal responsibility with any corporation is essential and Spurs are like any other corporation and uh, they're going to look to get the best deal. Um, I know that from a fan standpoint, that can be frustrating, um, but I still think that there has to be a balance between fiscal responsibility and just chucking money at a player. The other thing I'll say was in the last transfer window, we did not do it this way. We got players in early and everybody seemed to think that was great. And I certainly did. So did we show that that was a different way of doing business then? I hope so, but I do think it's a little unfair to say, well, we're doing it like Spurs always have. We're waiting, we're waiting. Because the last time, we did not wait. We got the guys in early. So, Michael, what do you think? I just wanted to second that. I think there is a balance, Lucas, for sure. So I I agree with, and I, of course, agree with you about the sentiment. The fact of the matter is, though, you know, I'm watching Chelsea pay £100 million for a player who's, I mean, we could get into that, uh, really some ridiculous work going on in terms of paying prices one it's just it's offensive prices really um and i I agree with john i i think 
say what you will about leadership uh, at Tottenham and Daniel Levy and this, that, and the other. I, I give credit for long-term fiscal uh, stability. I give credit to that. I think it's a good thing. I think um, we, the club in general, has a lot of debt, but it's really well, well structured and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think we've done well in terms of our financial management. And we have, like, like John indicated, been willing to put money forward for the right player. We have been moving earlier in the window. Um, I do wonder, and this is a this is you know a good question. What are we planning? Are we going to make moves? Is there a reason for the delay in this window? Is it because Conte doesn't know what he wants or what he wants is not what the club wants or what's going on? It almost indicates, guys, that that there is some sort of disagreement to me or um, the the players that they've approached. There's some issue with the clubs and the negotiations are ongoing. And they're keeping it under wraps. So maybe it's not even a bad thing, dare I say. But um, I think we have to wait and see if it's a dud window entirely or if it's just, you know, business taking time as usual and under wraps. And honestly, we'd prefer that these deals were kept secret until they're done because we don't want them ruined. Yeah, and and that's um, it, maybe Ali Gold is right there. And, and maybe this is just all a red herring. What we're seeing worked on is really just uh, – the smokescreen for what's going on behind the scene. And we could hope that that's the case. Go ahead, Lucas. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> one of the big things is, I, I'm, of course, because I think John had a good point. Like you don't want to just chuck money at anybody. Cause look at, look at Everton, look at what happened to them. Everton spent money on Everton. What spent like a couple summers ago, they spent like 150 million or something like Everton has been chucking money at players left and right. To me, the important thing is you have to have, belief and trust in your ability to actually identify the proper targets and then you go pay for them. So like, look at Manchester United, Manchester United started off the season horrendously taking four nil ass whippings at Brentford and they were an absolute mess and they needed to target somebody that could control the ball in the midfield. And they went out and got Casemiro paid big money. Now, a lot of people would say, wow, six year deal for that. Like, I don't know if I would pay that, but look at what they've done. They went out, identified the right guy that could save their season went out and paid for him. They didn't haggle for price. They just paid what he was worth, sent the money, and all of a sudden they're on their road back to the Champions League. So that's the stuff where you have to identify the right targets because, again, we thought we had the right targets and we spent big money on guys like Ndombele and Lacelso who failed. And that was a huge hit for us, and we lost a lot of money on those investments. So, yeah, it, it, to me it is a little bit of both. You have to identify the right guys – but then be willing to pay what they're worth. Cause you can't, we, we can't be the way that this is go the way that this league is going too with like Newcastle's now going to be in the top four race every year because they're willing to, they can pay whatever they want to pay. So the way that's going, we're not going to be able to stick around the top. If we're continuously <clears throat> trying to find, and again, I agree with John when he said, find the best deals, but when you identify the right guy, you got to actually go pony up and get them. Yeah. But no, you, you, it has to be the right guy, though, which is the tricky part, because you don't want to have more Ndombele's. John, final thoughts, sir? Well, uh, my final thought is that I don't think the press or any speculator has the slightest idea what Tottenham have in mind and who they're looking to buy, who they're looking to get bring in and who they're not. Most or all of what we look at is... Uh, press predictions and uh, I think if you start to react to press predictions 
You've, it's a very foolish thing because the, the press can make up anything. Um, you know, as I mentioned about Winks, uh, I mentioned about Harry Kane. So it's, uh, you know, it's wait and see. I think once it's over, the, then perhaps we can look at it and criticise that we there were players that moved that we didn't get, that we thought we were going to get and uh, whatever. But at the moment... All this conjecture really doesn't help, and um, I'm sure that the everybody behind closed doors at Tottenham is uh, is working to improve the team. Um, I've no doubt about that, but that's a very difficult thing to do, and one that, and they're not, you know, we, fortunately we don't have Harry in anymore. Otherwise, we'd know about everything. Yeah. And I. Oh, Michael, uh, jump in real fast, and then we'll well, get uh, this yeah, yeah. Uh, this the one of the things that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> The fact that we need a new goalkeeper is also going to complicate all of this for the summer transfer window, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm worried, but I do think Forrester's a good backup keeper. So for now, I'm not uh, terrified. But in terms of money, Lucas, you're right. For a goalkeeper, especially when the time comes and we know who we want, we will have to pay whatever that price is, and it's not going to be cheap. So foreshadowing to come. Can't wait for that uh, podcast episode when we sign. Uh, I don't know. I won't make any prediction. Yeah, no. Um, it, it could be any number of people at this point, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to have to be done. Maybe me. Who knows? I, I'm I'm very <laughs> discount, so I'll take anything. Get you on the cheap. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we have to roll this conversation along. We have two matches to preview. We're going to just give like five uh, five ten minutes to each at most. Here, uh, the first one is Manchester City. Uh, so, as we uh, this is this Thursday at 2 p.m. Uh, we have two midweek matches coming up. Uh, so uh, we're not playing on the weekend for the next uh, uh, two weeks. Uh, they're currently in second place in the league with 39 points. That's 12 wins, three draws, three losses. Uh, they did uh, lose away to Manchester United this weekend. They lost to Southampton before that. So they are on a bad streak here. They beat Chelsea in the FA Cup. They beat Chelsea uh, in the league and drew Everton going backwards. Uh, We know that their top goal scorer is a monster in Holland with 21. Foden's right behind him with seven. Uh, De Bruyne has 10 assists, so he's a pretty awesome playmaker. Uh, Silva's doing pretty well with five. Uh, Holland is the best rated player, and Rodri is right behind him. uh, we did beat them both times. We did the double on them last year, so there is that. Um, we we lost our prior two engagements with the, him, and then November 2020, we did beat them 2-0 in the league. Uh, so um, kind of a scary one. Um, I think one that we have to win, but then uh, there is this thing floating out there that like City's the best chance to make sure that Arsenal doesn't win the league, so do we want to lose this game? I'm going to start with the conversation with, with that. Like, where do you guys fall on this thing? Would you rather um, Arsenal – is it more important to you – I guess the question asked is, is it more important to you that Arsenal loses the league or uh, we win a key match that we need to win and possibly get into the top four? Lucas? Yeah, for me, it's, it always starts and ends with us. Like, I don't worry about what they're doing. Um, what's important to us is getting into Champions League next year, and if that means Arsenal wins the league, so be it. Like, Shit happens. It's going to suck, but I think that's probably a foregone conclusion. Anyway, Arsenal's done a great job taking advantage of a year where Liverpool's having an off season. It's very, it's very, it reminds me a lot of the Leicester season where 
Leicester was everyone talks about how great they were that season, but they also were just the team that took advantage of a season where City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and United all had down years. So every once in a while, one of these years happened, and Arsenal's doing a good job stepping up and taking advantage of a year where a lot of these power teams are having a cyclical off year. So uh, to me, I don't really care what they're doing. To me, it's about winning. We got to go get the job done at City. Um, and that's a big, it's a big order. I mean, it's a tall task. This is a team, I think you mentioned when you were reading back City's results, the thing that really scares me is the fact that they are coming off the back of a big derby loss. I talked about it in my loose locks, but the, I mean, I, the last thing you want to see is a desperate City team that's in need of a point because they, or need of points because they just dropped a big Manchester derby with some horrible defending. So they're going to be coming with all guns blazing, tighten things up at the back, and it's going to be, the way we've been playing, I'm like, this could be a pretty hard 90 minutes to watch. John? Um, yeah, I think you're stretching things a bit too far, Anthony. Um, we're, we would, I don't think any team would look at the fact that, well, you know, maybe we should not try as hard on this because we want Manchester City to get three points and that'll make them easier to win the league. Nah, no, 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 no. Never, never in a million. I think we've got to go out there and as Lucas says, we got to take the game to them and let the chips fall as they may. Um, having said that, it's a game that I think is almost impossible to predict. Um, depend uh, as you've mentioned, City have lost a couple in a row. Um, Harland, <laughs> to say he's gone off the boil would be absurd because of the number of goals he scored, but I don't think he's scored in, in, in a, the last couple of games. So he's due. Does the do the Spurs come out and play like they did the first half or the second half? Do City play like they used to? Do they play like they have been lately? We don't have the answer to any of those questions. And um, I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Um, but how it ends up, I I think you'd be a very brave man if you were to predict what uh, what's going to happen. Lucas? Yeah, and I think the big thing is this is a game that, uh, every time it seems like we play City, they bring the best out of us and we come out and, I, I mean, there's been years where it, does, it doesn't even matter. Like last year we had, uh, it was I think it was Kulicheski's first start and it was, I mean, that was a week in which we beat City away and then lost to Burnley in the same week. So it's like, it, it just seems that like when we play City away, it just, it brings out this this level in us that we just seem to turn it on and, so that's what I agree with John when it's really difficult to predict because on paper, you would think that just the firepower alone that they have is enough to just, I, I watched the game a couple weeks ago that they played Chelsea and they were struggling to find their goal. And so what did they do? They just casually brought off the bench. They brought off uh, like they brought Mares, Foden and like uh, Grealish. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's nice to have. Like, Imagine bringing those three off the bench casually to go get your goal. And we're here like being like, man, I hope Dave Sanchez comes on. So it's, it, it's, it's on paper. You would think that they would just put us to the sword, but I wouldn't be surprised if we go out there and we give them a hell of a game and Harry Kane comes in with a hat trick or we, we see some kind of just remarkable performance. Cause that's just seems to be the trend over the past few years is we, they, we, we go to play city. It's just, we have no fear and we seem to just, it, they bring the best out of us. So it, this is a really difficult one to predict. Yeah, last year, well, 
here's the thing. Last year for both Man City games, I actually, and maybe I was crazy then and I got lucky, I expected us to win. Those last year, I looked at how we were playing and how the systems lined up, and my thought was if everyone continues as usual, those are actually winnable games. This year, Lucas, the only thing I disagree with is that you said it'll be uh, could be a tough 90 minutes. Uh, no, it'll be a tough 45 minutes because in the second half, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll keep it going. But um, here's the thing: I was say, I in, we don't we don't play 90 minutes. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, we that. play half games, and when we play the half games, they're usually fun to watch. Um, but uh, this year, in the past couple of games, we've done really well in the first half. That set us up for success against Man City, and their frustration uh, made it more difficult for them as time went on. Uh, this year, if we're asleep in the first half, and that's honestly, it's so consistent, it would be dumb not to expect it. If we're asleep at the wheel in the first half, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be so much harder. If, if it goes like last year, we're in the first five minutes, Kulisevsky and Son have a glorious link up wonder goal. Incredible. I mean, I'll never forget that from the last season. If we have one of those, then we'll, that will set the tone. But if not, um, then Lucas, maybe you're right. Even a second half uh, revival wouldn't be enough to bring us back in. So, uh, and yeah, I, I don't think I'm brave enough to try and make an accurate, I'll predict. I'm happy to offer a prediction. Well, well go ahead. Not and predict, an accurate one. Cause I was about to shift us into prediction. So go ahead and make your prediction. Oh, and I also don't like being the one that has to go first. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I would say in the first, and I could guess first half, uh, they scored twice. Second half, uh, Harry Kane scores off a penalty or a 96 minute equalizer. So I'm guessing 2 1 Man City. Okay. Uh, uh, that's predictable. You said Harry Kane was your goal scorer. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Lucas, what's your prediction? Yeah, I'm going to say I just I don't have a lot of faith right now. So I'm going to just say 3-1, and I think it's going to be Sun because uh, I know Sun's been playing really poor as of late, but there's something about playing City where Sun loves a goal. So nobody loves to get one over on them more like Sonny does. So I think this might be the game we see Sonny with a nice outside-the-box cracker, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think it'll probably be 3-1. If it's 3-1, does uh, Conte get the sack? I, I, to me, I don't. I don't see how you could sack somebody after going to if you lose away at City. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of teams that go away and win at City. So, I mean, if if if, you, if we lose to like if we lose to City and then on Monday we lose to Fulham or something or drop points to Fulham, then I think that could be a part of the conversation. But gotcha. no, I don't think it'll be because of City. Okay, That's gotcha. unfair. I just wanted to ask because three one is uh, pretty uh, is a stomping to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, John, where's your prediction at? Well, I'm going to go with 2-2. Two, two. Um, I, I think that one of these days we're going to stop playing two different halves of football. I'm the eternal optimist and say that this is the, the, this is the match where they're going to do it. But even if we play like we did in the second half, at, away at Man City is a tough, tough game. So I think we'd be very happy to come away with a draw, quite frankly. I think Kane and Kuvaleski's going to get the goals. And um, let 2-2 two, two would be, uh, I think. But I, I feel I could be horribly wrong in either direction. 
Yeah, I actually two two is what I had down as well. Um, we seem to have their uh, number enough that like I could see us getting a draw here and not losing to them. But I I have a tough time picking us to win in any match until um, unless somebody's the bottom of the table and not playing well. I just don't see how we're successful the way we've been playing. Um, yeah, Crystal Palace, uh, kind of the anomaly. It didn't kick us on uh, any that that I can see. Um, so, yeah, 2-2. Two, two, I'm going to give a goal to, uh, to Kane, and um, maybe that's the the record. Or, no, you need two, right? Um, yeah, so, well, not, so he doesn't get the record with this one. Um, and we'll give a goal to Kulishevsky. Uh, so I guess we have the same prediction, John. <laughs> yes, we do. So so there we are. Um, just briefly talking about the record. Um, I was just last week. I found on uh, found on TV uh, a repeat of a film that was called Greavesy, and it followed his career all the way through, including his broadcasting career at the end. And uh, People know that he was my favorite player of all time, and it was fascinating. If they repeat it, I thoroughly recommend if you can find it to watch it. Um, it really, I, I know I talk about Groovesy a lot, and um, because I saw him play, uh, many of you did not. And I think that this this could explain to people why I talk about him so much and why he was the, you know, up until... Well, he still is the greatest goal scorer we had. But uh, and what's Kane, it called again? It's called Greavesy. Right. Uh, so, uh, so I'll, I'll definitely give it a watch. Uh, what was it on again? Uh, it was on BT Sports, but I don't know. You know, um, I would look on all your platforms and see. You know, maybe, do, do maybe, a search. I just got BritBox, so maybe I can find it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Um, well, anyway. Um, uh, let's move the conversation along. So uh, we do not play the upcoming in the upcoming weekend. Um, we play the following Monday. So we take on Fulham, another away match, uh, January 23rd at 2 p.m. once again. Um, this is not your grandfather's Fulham. Uh, they currently sit in sixth place in, in the league with 32 points. That's nine wins this season, five draws, and seven losses. So they are... Right behind us in the league, not playing terribly right now. Um, they did lose to Newcastle um, away uh, the, this past weekend, beat Chelsea prior to that, beat Hull in the FA Cup, beat Leicester, and beat Southampton. So they're beating those bottom-of-the-table teams. Um, they, um, they do have Manchester United at home this following Sunday from us, so they do have to worry about that one as well. Another uh, tough match for them, so they might see that we're the, the easier pickings than, than uh, United. Uh, Mitrovic is their top goal scorer with 11, so he's doing pretty good there. Reed has four behind him. Pereira is their top player maker with five, uh, uh, and uh, Mitrovic is the top-rated player. Um, we have beat them four out of the last five times that we've faced them uh, with wins both uh, times last season uh, um, uh, by one goal each each of those matches. Uh, how are you guys feeling on this follow-up match? Uh, let's 
Uh, uh, I think John Tan went up first. Yeah, I I think I saw the Newcastle Fulham game. I thought they were desperately unlucky. They conceded a goal in the 89th minute. They played extremely well. This Fulham team is the best Fulham team that they have had in a long, long time. They're put together well. They play as a unit. Um, They've uh, consistently outperformed what we anticipated. And if you look at them, although they've played a game more, they're only a couple of points behind us in the league. Uh, I think it's going to be a very intriguing match. Um, it is one that if we were to put down at the beginning of the season, you'd put down away at Fulham, yeah, we'll get at least one point, if not three points out of that. I don't think that's as automatic now as it was then. Um, I, I still think we have an opportunity to beat them, but uh, it's going to be tricky. Fulham are a, are a good side this year. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, I <clears throat> I actually watched them play um, on Thursday, their game against Chelsea, and I know that's a big derby for them, but uh, it was just, it was impressive to watch. They have a very clear identity. They have a lot of guys that can hurt you. They didn't even use, uh, I think, uh, was it Mitrovic, their main guy up top? Like, he was hurt, so he wasn't in there, and they still had guys like Willian and Vinicius, who used to be on loan with us. Uh, like they have guys that can score and they have guys that can attack and they have a, like I said, they have a very free flowing identity and it's they're They are a, they're definitely not the team that we played at White Hart Lane and in, in the fall when we got that, uh, I think it was a two, one win at home, but this is the team that um, is gaining momentum and they're, it's a really, really tough spot for us to now go. They're going to be up for it at home. Uh, again, another London Derby. They're going to want to beat us. We have, after, I mean, Arsenal, City, and then away to them, that's a tough three games in a row. So I think we're going to be really, especially if we didn't seem very optimistic about the City game. So if that goes the way that most of us assume it will, we're going to be in a pretty pretty tough spot to be in desperate need of some points. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we come out. Because, again, I think despite them being a much better Fulham side than we're used to, at the end of the day, we should be able to go there and get three points. So it's, it's going to be one of those that comes down to us. Do we show up? If we do, I think we shouldn't have too much trouble actually getting the grinding out the result. But if we don't show up, this is a team that can absolutely hurt us. And we could be in a really, really just horrible spot after that game if we don't come up there and, or go out there and actually turn up the way we hope we do. And as we talked about earlier, the team of two halves, like, this is a game that another one that you can't really sleepwalk through that first half. You got to come out and be aggressive from the get. And if we see that, I think we should get the win. If we don't, I think this is a team that can really hurt us. Well, and as you said in the first half, like uh, this would be if if we lose the city, if we lose this one, um, that will be three consecutive losses. It's possible Conte could be on the chopping block at that point, um, uh, which it seems crazy to say, but uh, certainly could happen. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I, I agree with what you've all said in terms of Fulham being, again, better than the sum of their parts, one, one might say. Uh, really impressive. Also, on a side note, uh, they've got one of Manur Solomon, uh, the Israeli who came from Maccabi Petah Tikva and then moved on to uh, Ukraine, and now he's playing sub at Fulham. So I always enjoy, he's the only Israeli in the Premier League right now, so I enjoy getting to watch him play with the only subs on. But in any case... Um, I still think they're a beatable team for us. They should be. They ought to be. 
and you would you would expect us to still pull out through a tough game and win. Um, last year, for sure, it, it's a game you'd say, well, they'll be tough, but we should be able to pull through. This year, it's really it's really unpredictable. And and as we've the running theme here, uh, if it isn't riddles, it's got to be a game of two halves. And if uh, again. If we play a first half where Mitrovic is on form and we're uh, putzing around, we're we're not going to be. We may not be able to dig ourselves out of the hole. Then again, we got they don't have uh, the def- the defense of uh, the top teams, and we could still we could still score. So I'm expecting a win, but I'm expecting a a, a tough fight for. Them. Yeah, I think that's a a good place to go to predictions, and I'll let you off the hook this time, Michael, and we'll start with Lucas. Uh, I'm going to say 2-1. I think they're going to be – I think they'll probably at least get a goal. They're going to be very up for it. Um, but I think we're going to be at a point where we're so desperate that we're going to see our true colors come out. And I think that we do have a lot more than we've been showing this year. And I think this might be the game that we need to kind of right the ship and get right back on the, the right track. So I think we'll see our superstars come up and actually – have the big game we need him to have. So I'm going to go with a hurricane brace and we win 2-1. I like it. Uh John, what's your Well, play? I was yeah, I was going to say 2-1 again because uh, although I don't think we're going to get it together for Manchester City for both halves. If we don't get it together for Fulham in both halves, we're in deep trouble. So we really really need to to get it started and I think that could be the match to do it in which case um, I'm all go, so going to predict a 2-1 win there. The kind of game that if we're going to do uh, in European football next year, we're going to have to win. Um, I think Kane will get one, and I'm going to go with uh, Kulu again for the second one. Okay, I like it. Uh, Michael? I'm going to say I agree. I, I think by that time, uh, if we don't sort that out, we've got bigger problems than just losing one game to Fulham. And I'm, but I'm predicting a win. I'm predicting three-one actually. I, I I agree with. I think it's going to be a cane brace, and I think uh, Son is going to score that third one, and uh, Mitrovic is definitely going to get a shot on us. But uh, maybe he'll get a penalty and he'll get a double touch. So we'll see what happens. Okay, I, I'm going to play the optimist here, uh, which always seems to get me into trouble, and we lose bad. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but. I'm going to say 4-1 uh, we win. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe uh, some of these players that have been out hurt will be back fully fit. I mean, we saw a couple minutes of Richarlison, but he looked really good in the World Cup. If Maybe his fitness is back enough to be, play well in this one, and maybe this is where we see uh, Sonny sat um, uh, another test, similar to what we did against, I guess, Everton it was, right? Um uh, so yeah, I um, I'm gonna say that we get maybe Benton Core's back healthy. Uh, that might be a bit of a stretch, but um, but that that would be huge for us if he was. Um, I'm gonna say we get a goal from Kane. We get a and maybe this is the the record one if he if he got my goal against City. Um, we'll get a goal from uh, Richarlison, a goal from Kulishevsky. And we're going to get a probably another goal from Hoy Bier. He just seems to be able to come up in weird spots and get one. And uh, I think he's good for one here. Uh, any final thoughts uh, uh, about the week that was, the, the, the really frustrating match there against Arsenal? Uh, 
the Conti talk, any other, any good place to wrap this conversation up? Go ahead, Lucas, do you tackle it? No, it's something I say a lot. And it's something I said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when we were in a really bad spot after a couple of really poor performances. I mean, it's, there's just not a lot of good energy and good vibes going around the club right now, but just remember that football is fickle and it, it can change and very quickly. So we could be sitting here talking next week after a nice win over city and a big win over Fulham or something. So I know it seems really bleak right now, but John, the eternal optimist will agree with me that, I mean, it's, it it could be very different at this time next week. So just got to keep the faith and hope that we can write the ship, but don't, don't overreact and don't freak out too much just because things, things seem really dark right now. It's, it could be, we could be talking next summer about how, or in the summer about how we won the league. So you just, you never know. Um, yeah. Stay uh, positive if you can. <laughs> yeah. So uh, staying positive is important. Um, it, well, and if that were to happen, I think we could uh, start, um, maybe we could bring out the mind, the gap uh, um, <laughs> a chance, but that seems like a stretch with what we're seeing right now. But um but thank you for the optimism. I think that is a good place to wrap this up. Uh, so thank you so much to Lucas, Michael, and John today. Uh, thanks to Tommy for editing, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, The Atlantic. Great to see so many people out there this week. Uh, find us on our many platforms, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, many more. Hit the subscribe button where, they, where you can and write us a review where you can. Um, and tell us what you think about the podcast. Uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Stars Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.